Hello and welcome back to another edition of The Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. And boy, do we have a great episode cooking for you guys tonight. We're going to start it off with a little bit of sports news around the world. Today, actually, we had a little bit of action in the sports world. We're going to get into a little bit of catching stats today, how they do some war calculations for catchers. I'm particularly excited about this because I was a high school catcher, not a very good one, though. But he could catch some heat, and he had a gun. I, I mean, that's that wasn't the scouting report on me, but uh, we'll let the myth live on. And then finally, uh, maybe the most exciting part, I think, for us is we're making our predictions for the playoffs, and it's going to be an absolute cracker. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have a lot of fun with that with that one. But first, let's start with just some housekeeping. Uh, we are very excited for our next episode. Uh, we're going to have a big surprise for you listeners, so really, please make sure to stay tuned for our next episode, and we will be letting you know when that comes out, as usual, on our Twitter, at mm-hmm. the Alonzo Bet. Uh, and this also, is our biggest episode yet. You yeah. listeners who are listening to this now are going to be able to say, I was on the Alonzo bet before it was big. You know, before everybody was going to him for their stat breakdowns, I was in the earbuds. Yeah, but with that, let's move into our, our sports news for the day. Uh, let's start off with number one, which is that uh, tonight is Thursday night. It is April 24th, and that means tonight was the NFL draft. Yes, sort of sir. The first bit of, of sports that has gone on as expected in, in this isolation period. So, uh, of course, the NFL draft didn't happen as it would normally. Uh, it would be impossible yeah, in today's climate. Exactly. So it was supposed to be in Vegas, but instead the NFL draft was conducted virtually. So, you know, everyone on teams had ways to communicate with each other on Zoom. The picks were called in to Roger Goodell virtually, where he in a room would uh, announce the pick. But, you know... Everybody's favorite guy to watch, by the way, yeah. Roger Goodell. That's what everyone loves about the NFL draft. Yeah, I think actually, basically what Goodell wanted was just no more booze of him. Yeah. So they went to the virtual draft. This is uh, secretly coordinated by NFL owners so that no one has to hate Roger Goodell anymore. Yeah, but, you know, I was watching the broadcast tonight, and it was... Pretty just, seamless. Just as any other NFL draft, you know, players drafted, they talk about the player, you know, some notable ones, to nobody's surprise, Joe Burrow went mm. number one, the reigning Heisman Award winner, Real the reigning national champion, just a boss. Like, yeah. And, and, and I'll point out that, that neither Aaron and I are very big college football fans, so we don't know a lot of college football prospects before they come in. Like, sure. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, we're, we're pretty big NFL fans, we're both in a fantasy football league at school. I'm a massive Jets fan, so my, my knowledge of players coming into the draft is often like looking at who the Jets might take and learning <laughs> about those players. And my knowledge is just like a casual fandom, I would say. Like, I know some of these really great players, um, and maybe a couple guys I've seen make sick plays like throughout the year randomly on like an ESPN top play, or I'm just watching a game, and I'll get into those guys. But yeah, we're not... We're not experts by any means, but come on. I mean, we're living in a quarantine. This is big sports news. we got to yeah. go with it. But a couple of notable other picks is that uh, Tua Tagovailoa, yeah. I think I got that right, uh, ended up going number five to the Dolphins. I mean, Tua's a guy, if you remember, before his injury was largely looked at as either going to be number one or number mm-hmm. two overall pick, viewed sort of as an equal prospect with Burrow. But after he injured his hip, it was a pretty serious injury. His draft stock fell a little. Some people thought that he might even end up being the third quarterback taken, fall a little bit lower. But I really like this pick from the Dolphins. Like, from the little college football I've watched, like, Tua just seems to be an absolute stud. 
the way he can just make these insanely accurate yeah. throws down the field. And I just think when you're searching for a quarterback, as long as there's no like obvious like injury concerns and in that, in that he's not going to get better, which there's been no suggestion of from what I've seen, you just got to take the, the, the guy who has the best mm-hmm. tape out there, I think. Yeah, and I think it, we've seen at Alabama, we've seen him be really, really dominant. I mean, he's been a part of some championship teams. He threw for almost 4,000 yards in 2018. So there's a ton of upside here. Injury is obviously a concern. And then, I guess, who did your Jets take, Sam? Because I didn't even see. The Jets ended up taking offensive lineman, offensive tackle, Mekhi Becton. So the, the Jets, for anyone who, who watched any Jets games last year, you know that their offensive line was an absolute disaster. They could not give the kid, Sam Darnold, any time to throw. The legend, Sam he's, Darnold. He's one of the, the greatest... QB prospects in the league. He's going to show it to you guys next year because their new general manager, Joe Douglas, has committed to revamping this offensive line, protecting their young stud. And what they got in Mekhi Becton is a six foot seven, 365-pound monster who will maul defensive ends who come after him, who will just move defensive tackles in the run game, open up huge holes for Le'Veon Bell. And I talked about how massive this guy is, but he's also a freak athlete. He can run a 5.1 4-yard dash. That is the fastest 4-yard dash for anyone that weighs as much as him ever. So I'm really excited about this pick. I think he's going to be a cornerstone of the Jets line for years to come. And I'm happy for you. You know, I, I think this is really great news for you. But I know what's going to happen next year is that by week 9, you'll be... So sad watching the Jets. You'll do it every week, but you'll be so sad watching them every week. I don't want to see it for you anymore, (laughs) Sam. All right, all right. All right, so actually what's interesting here is I'm on Mekhi Becton's sports reference page, and like, what even are stats for an offensive lineman? Like, at least a defensive lineman, you have sacks and stuff. There's no way to quantify some of these guys. I mean, I guess it's like how many times they mess up. But again, you know, football... That's why football analytics are so hard. It's yeah. very hard to quantify the impact of every single player on the field on any given play because it's all so interconnected. Exactly. Um, but with that, let's move to some other football news, and that is that Rob Gronkowski has come out of retirement and been traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to play with his old pal Tom Brady. This is crazy. This is just like... The trade is weird too, right? Like, yes... The Bucks get Gronkowski for a fourth-round pick. If you just told me that on the face, it would make sense. But then somehow the Bucks got the Patriots to throw in a seventh-round pick, and Sam doesn't think this is as much of a big deal as I do. But I just find it so weird that the Pats are obviously getting robbed here because his value is way higher than a fourth-round pick if he plays. But then they also just send a seventh-round pick because Gronkowski's just strong-arming him and telling him he won't play? But I mean, like... They're getting robbed in, in the fact that they're not getting as much value as they would in a vacuum for Rob Gronkowski. But you have to realize that Gronkowski has all the leverage here. And basically he's saying, I'm only coming out of retirement to play with Tom Brady. So given that that's the case, what the Pats are basically getting is a fourth round pick for nothing. For someone that wasn't even going to show up. But I guess I'm just kind of confused about the mechanics. If he's retired, how can the Pats trade him? Because, uh, like, you... Because if you could just retire and no longer be owned by the team you retired with, then any time a player wanted to leave a team, they could just retire for a year and then go to a new team. So if you retire before the end of a contract, 
then that, that so team needs that to have the rights yeah. to you if you decide to come back. Yeah. Geez, weird situation, but hey, it'll be fun seeing old Tom and the maybe the craziest sports personality we have right now. Yeah, and I think Tampa Bay is a is a almost a perfect city to encapsulate yeah. Rob Gronkowski's Rob, Rob Gronkowski's essence. Well, you know, he's he's really going to be living more of that Miami lifestyle than yeah. that Tampa Bay lifestyle. But well, let's see what they do. It's an interesting team. You know, their defense was not bad last year. Kind of. Kind of upper middling, I would say, and uh, obviously, you know, whatever Jameis did last year—that's not even a season. Most exciting player in football. Uh, but they do have a great receiving core, obviously. Uh, and let's see what and this they, uh, does. And for. they grabbed a, a great, another great offensive tackle in in the draft, Tristan Wirfs, who I think it was the, for the Jets it was sort of between Beckton and Wirfs, mm-hmm. and they're. You know, different people have different opinions on who is better. Both great offensive uh, line prospects. The Bucks got Wirfs, going to be another piece of talent on that line to protect Brady. I mean, that offense, especially with Arians at the helm, like that guy just knows how to coach offense. Yeah, he does. Like, one thing they're missing is a running game, but I think one thing that but Arians, Arians and Tom Brady yeah. have both done so many times in their careers win without a running game. So yeah. I don't even blink at that. Um,. All right, so like we said, guys, we're getting some steam in the sports world right now. We're going to bring it to you because we're just excited to have some new and novel things to share. And another one up the docket, and this is right up Sam's alley here. I'm very excited for this Is one. big news about A-Rod and J-Lo kind of organizing a bid to uh, buy the Mets. Yeah, so for those who haven't really been following Mets news... The Mets have, <laughs> Which is like 95% yeah. of the U.S. population. The Mets have possibly the worst owners in MLB, which is the Wilpon family. Fred Wilpon and his son Jeff Wilpon sort of co-run the team. Jeff Wilpon is sort of a narcissistic young man who thinks he knows everything about baseball, but sort of just strong arms every decision that happens in the organization, even though he's totally clueless. Uh, however, because they're very incompetent people, they lost tons of money in the, in the Bernie Madoff scheme. And because of that, the Mets have been operating as a middle market team Mm -hmm. out of New York City for about a decade now. And as you'd expect with, uh, with, you know, uh, a couple of guys who got themselves in financial trouble, their financial trouble is worsening uh, under coronavirus and they're basically being forced to sell the team. Uh, Now, they had already agreed to another sale of the team a few months ago to a hedge fund manager uh, named Steve Cohen. I think the show Billions is actually based on him. Loosely. Yeah, yeah. Loosely based. Lo- loosely him. based on him. But he would have actually become the richest owner in Major League Baseball if he uh, bought the Mets. He gave an offer for $2.6 billion. An offer uh, an offer was accepted by the Wilpons, but then the Wilpons had some psychotic belief that after they sold the, <laughs> team, the team, they would still be allowed to make be making decisions on the team. So the deal broke through. And they literally turned down <laughs> yeah. 2.6, which is probably above market value for the Mets, because they can't retain decision-making power for five years they wanted. It wasn't even just Well, like, well actually, Steve Cohen was going to give them, uh, allow them to stay in control for five years. Will, Jeff Wilpon wanted to continue to have power after that five-year period. That was the deal-breaker? I thought yeah. it was that he gave him the five years, and then Wilpon thought it was only going to be him, and Steve Cohen thought like he yeah, should have yeah, some that, that, that was, So well. I think I think it was both of those things. It was that 
Steve Cohen sort of understood this period would be a transition period, mm-hmm. while the Wilpons thought that Steve Cohen would sort of just give them money <laughs> and then let them just con- continue to play. Keep it on layaway. Yeah, continue like, to have fun with the Nets for another five years. Oh my uh, God. But the, the deal fell through because of this. Uh, but actually, the funny thing now is the, the Mets are basically being forced to sell because of financial troubles. And Steve Cohen is back in the picture. <laughs> he might be the, the backer behind yeah. J-Lo and A-Rod. And he might be able to end up getting this team for less money than before without the five-year transition period. <laughs> just because these two men, Fred and Jeff Wilpon, are among the most incompetent people in the world. I was going to say, it would be the, the most fitting end to their tenure because they are truly some of the most incompetent owners in the last 40 years, probably. Like, they have just been absolutely brutal and for them to bungle the sale of their own team and accidentally force themselves out of power faster would just be... It would be the perfect end to the willpower regime, and, and I will be standing there smiling as, yeah. as I watch them burn. So you bet you will hear more about this Mets news uh, in future episodes. And the last thing on the docket, you're going to like this one, Sam. Yeah. The last thing on the docket is a little celebrity charity golf match that we got fired up. They're doing a uh, fundraising to benefit COVID-19 relief and listen to the teams. Two teams, two players. We got Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning teaming up. I love that team. To play Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. I know what team I'm rooting for. I'm a a Tiger and Manning guy. I almost feel like despite everything with Tiger, the Tiger and Peyton team is the fan favorite team. Those are the good people who like everybody loves. And the Brady-Mickelson team is kind of that villain team. Like, you respect them. They're so good at what they do. But, like, you never really found yourself rooting for them hard. Yeah, I think Phil was a bit of a sort of a victim to just not being Tiger. Yeah, yeah. Brady, you know, was obviously part of this evil Patriots empire for so long, you know. But but Peyton's such a... Everyone loves Peyton. Mm-hmm. You know. He's doing those goofy Allstate yeah. commercials. Like, he's... Just clearly a nice guy. Pagan's sort of the the more reserved, uh, like football savant, but whereas Brady comes off as sort of the more like egomaniacal pretty boy. He's definitely an egomaniac. Yeah, there's no question about that. But either way, they're apparently both pretty decent golfers. We wish these were baseball players because there are no better golfers than baseball. Of course, players. I know Tom yeah. Brady's a decent golfer. He golfs in an episode of Entourage. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot all about that. Um, but let's just ask it, Sam. Who do you got? Not knowing that much, because I don't know that much about how Tom Brady. And well, I don't. Man, I don't know the. I don't know the comparison between Tom and Peyton, but uh, but like, I mean, Tiger at this point in his career is a better golf, golf golfer than Phil. Uh, but Phil just beat t- Tiger in that other match. Right. You know? I don't know who's going to be taking this more seriously. One thing I know is Tiger and Phil love to gamble, so I'm sure they'll have some money. They'll have some side pods. Uh, but, I'm, you know, it's going to be a charity coronavirus event. It's going to be live on TNT. They haven't sort of finalized a date yet, but I know for sure I'm going to be watching that. It's going to be a ton of fun. Definitely. And for the record, I have Phil and Brady. I think they're going to take it way too seriously. <laughs> that is a possibility, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. And so that kind of brings us right into this week's stat corner. Uh, we got, as I mentioned at the top of the show, catcher framing coming to you today. And I just want to kind of preface this with an understanding of the catcher's position because it, I feel like they're the unsung hero of the baseball field. 
no one really cares about them. Most of the time, they're not very good hitters. Catchers in general are, are one of the worst, if not the worst, hitting position every year. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not flashy. They got a helmet on the whole game. You can't see their face. But catchers control the entire game. They control steals. They call pitches. As we'll talk about extensively in a second, they catch pitches and decide whether they're balls or strikes far more often than they should, truly. They do defensive alignment in the field, and they're the overall general. They go out and calm the pitcher down if they're too excited. They control the tempo of the game. They're extremely important. And what we've seen in the last couple of years is that war's positional adjustment for both fan graphs and baseball reference has started to take notice of that more and more. I think the turn came kind of around 2010 for general consciousness about this. And what you see now is that no position accrues more war outside of their batting ability than a catcher. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with recognizing the value of catcher framing, which is the stat we're going to talk about today. Uh, So basically what catcher framing is, is it's the recognition that how a catcher receives a pitch that's thrown thrown to them. And, And I've heard a lot of people who are sort of catchers themselves say that they prefer to refer to, they prefer to talk about catcher framing as catcher receiving. Mm-hmm. Sort of the the act of receiving a pitch from someone as opposed as opposed to actively moving their glove to frame it. Right, because some people think of framing, they think of a catcher, maybe like an outside pitch, catching the ball, turning his hand in towards the plate so it looks like the ball's more there. And that can be a part of it, but what has become understood more and more, and this is, you know, maybe a 10 to 20 year idea is that that's not really getting anybody strikes. Yeah, that's not tricking umpires because they see the act of it being right. Used. But what does get people strikes is where you catch the ball. Is it up by the back of the batter or is it all the way in the back of the batter's box? What position is your glove moving in in uh, correlation to what position the ball is moving in? All of these things, and we can't quantify exactly why they make such a difference, but all of these things have a tangible difference on what pitches are called balls and strikes. Yeah, and sort of, you know, statistically, we can just see that certain catchers are better at receiving pitches in a way that look like a strike to an umpire than other catchers. And the way we can quantify this is there's sort of years and years of data of pitch locations and whether or not they're called striking balls. So you can see pitches in basically every part of the strike zone and assess what's the probability that a pitch in this part of the strike zone is called a strike or a ball by umpires across the league. And then what you can look at is for every time a catcher catches a pitch in that part of the zone, if it's a strike, they're given credit for sort of the probability that it wasn't a strike. And if it's a ball, they're punished for sort of the probability that it was a strike. And you do this over every pitch, and eventually you see... There are certain catchers that are gaining more strikes for their pitchers, and there are other catchers that are losing strikes for their pitchers. And then you can sort of convert this into a value by looking at how valuable gaining a strike is actually worth. And what people have realized is that, on average, gaining a strike versus a ball is worth about an eighth of a run. So that means for every uh, 100 strikes you get versus a ball, that's worth about 12 runs for your team. But what's interesting is that to get that number, you might be wondering, you know, how can you tell? And the answer is they look at counts, specific counts throughout a whole season, 
and they say the average run value produced in this count over a whole season of all batters is this number. And so when they tell you that adding a strike over a ball is giving you, you know, around an eighth of a run, that's averaged over the addition of a strike to each count. And in some counts, it doesn't matter. You're only gaining 0.08 in uh, runs by getting a strike on a 0-0 count. But then as you go down to a 2-1 count, gaining a strike or losing a strike is the difference of 0.09 runs. So what you have is some pretty significant differences from different zones. And it is, again, averaged over the entire league and then translated into what does it mean to add one strike? But, but of course, even past the numbers, like anybody that's watched a game of baseball intuitively knows a hitter's in a much better position if they're in a three and one count versus a two and two count. Absolutely. And like, you just know that the hitter is going to have a better chance at punishing a pitch, not striking out. Like, it's just, that, that's, that's, that should be obvious to any even casual fan yeah. of baseball. So this is just a stat that's trying to actually put into numbers how, how much it's actually worth to, to go between these two states. And this is where we start to see that catchers are worth an absolute ton. So the number one catcher in framing this past year, uh, and there are a few different calculations of framing. Fangraphs does one. Uh, Baseball Savant does one. Baseball Prospectus does one. Uh, so this, this one I'm giving you is the, is the Baseball Savant one. But Austin Hedges led the league with 20 runs saved. And remember, we've talked about how in other pod, on other podcasts about how about 10 runs equals a win. So that means Austin Hedges, just by his ability to receive pitches, gained his team about two wins last year. I mean, so that's insane. Happens, yeah. That's two wins above replacement. Two wins above replacement is an average player last year. And so that's before he went up to the plate. Yeah, so that's basically just from receiving pitches as a catcher. Austin Hedges was above was an above average player last year because he was two wins above average, not two wins above replacement. And you guys may or may not be surprised to know that in all-time framing, and again, this is heavily biased towards current catchers because it's when the stat was developed and it's when we actually can get good data. But you may not be surprised to see that Yadier Molina's in the three spot, the one in two spots. Could surprise you, but they really shouldn't. It's Russell Martin and Brian McCann, both guys who for a very, very long time were very good behind the plate. They have tapered off a bit and, at the end of the And a guy who maybe in the past four or five years has been the best framer in the game is uh, Yasmani Grandal. Yeah. Oh, and that's and that's a big reason why on like a prior podcast I referred to him as who I thought was the best catcher in the game. Because not only is he, is he bringing value with his bat, he's bringing so much value behind the plate with his frame. And he is number five on this list for the record. Um, but this is a super interesting space as well. I'd say this is one of the most difficult aspects of the game to quantify and put into an advanced statistic. I think maybe more so than any individual statistic we've spoken about yet. However, what we see, just from the tools we do have to analyze this, is that it is maybe one of the most important effects yeah. of all the different types of fielding that we see on a baseball field. And, and there's actually a very interesting discussion around catcher framing, which is that the premise of catcher framing is that um, it's like the premise of basically a player is good at bending the rules of the game. 
And actually, as catcher framing has become more and more emphasized by teams, first of all, the best framers are not as good compared to the average framers as before. So when framing first came into, into view, the best framers were looking like something like 40 runs above average, whereas this year, Austin Hedges is like 20 runs above yeah. average. Part of the reason for that is that... Uh, the whole league's gotten better. Part of that is that teams emphasize it more, so just the whole league's gotten better at framing. But another reason for that is that as framing has sort of come into the mainstream, the league, the major league baseball has started more rigorously grading its umpires at its ability to make exactly. calls. So with that, umpires are now getting more and more accurate, so the value of framing is actually decreasing a bit. Uh, so it's interesting, like, the more you emphasize on framing, the, the more you emphasize how important catcher framing is, sort of the less important it becomes. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a paradox there. And, but... and catcher framing, of course, is something that will become totally obsolete if we ever switch to robot arms. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Catchers yeah. will just become... I mean, they'll have to block still, I guess, but they'll yeah. basically just become fire hoses just back there to throw. And I wonder if it'll if, if it will end up making it harder to steal bases because catchers will care less about about being, how they receive it. Yeah, Absolutely, being in a position to receive it sort of in a in a measured way and just drive steals up. I mean, this Rob Manfred or don't even get me started again. The unintended consequences and the avalanche of bad decisions that this guy seems to be on a path of making, we could be watching a totally different ballgame in 10 years. I, I will say, like, I would expect myself to want a robot, though, just, like, in view of my my personality yeah. or something, but I don't want a robot, though. No, I, I sort of like the imperfection of, of, of human umpires. I, I think it's like. important, and I, I, I mean, I don't even, like, replay, but... I'm okay with replay, like I get it, you know, you want to get the call right, that's a runner on base, but the flow of the game is something that they're emphasizing, and not having an umpire there is going to drastically alter that. Yeah. Oh, and last thing on framing, uh, before we move on, we talked about the best. The worst last year was James McCann. Ooh, Jamesy! At, at minus 16 runs, so that means just because he wasn't, he was catching, he was moving his glove all over the place when he was catching pitches... The, his team was cost almost two two wins last year. So, you know, framing, the, the moral of the story is framing is a very important skill that can really drive up the defensive value of a catcher. Now, there are other parts of being a catcher that are maybe harder to quantify, sort of like the ability to call the game yeah. and, like, manage a pitching staff. I think that's something that is always going to be pretty hard to quantify, and you're sort of going to have to go off of you know, how pitchers talk about their catchers and stuff. But, you know, any any attempt to try to quantify it and look at sort of maybe pitcher performance when they have a certain catcher versus a backup catcher, that could be interesting ways to try to quantify that. Yeah, and I think that at this point, you and I kind of have both seen that data and it's way too noisy to really say anything. Yeah. But, you know, there's just something to it sometimes. You know, Clayton Kershaw wants to throw to a specific guy or... Um, I mean, I always remembered that in Arizona, Randy Johnson just threw to Robbie Hammock, and like that's just how it was. And I don't know. Sometimes there's a little bit of synergy there, but sometimes it's just in their heads. <laughs> you know, yeah, we got a bunch of superstitious sure. yeah. guys playing a high level of sports. But we'll keep our eye on this space. We'll continue to bring you guys stats. And if there's a statistic that you want to hear about, make sure you reach out to us on our Twitter at the Alonzo Bet or shoot us an email. 
thealonzobet at gmail.com, and we will get to it in one of our future episodes. Um, and then today, as we mentioned at the top, we do have a very, very exciting, almost a conclusion. It's the penultimate episode in our projection series. Yeah. And this one is the playoffs, baby. Yeah, and, uh, you know, so we, we finished in our last episode our division previews. So now we told you who we thought was going to win every division, but now we got to tell you who we think is going to win the World Series because that's that's really why all these teams are playing. They're not winning. To, they're not playing to win the division. That's, that's why we that. play the game. We want to host the trophy, and I don't know where we want to start, but I think we should start in the NL. All right, let's start in the NL. So let me give you. I'm going to run down my uh, my three division winners in order of which I'll, I think they'll finish in record. Then I'll give you my first and second wild card. So I, okay. have, uh, I have my NL West winners, the Dodgers, as the number one seed. I have my NL East winners, the Mets, as the number two seed. I have my NL Central winners, the Cubs, as the number three seed. And then my first wild card is the Braves. And the second wild card is where I got a little saucy. It's the Padres. Oh, my God. Oh, you didn't even pick the Snakes second. Yeah, I picked the Snakes third, remember? All right, so in the National League, I have the Dodgers with the best record in the league. I got the Braves coming in next, and then I have the Cardinals, the winner of my NL Central, coming in with the third best uh, record of the NL Division winners. I think it'll be close between Braves and Cardinals, but the Braves got the edge. And then my first wild card... Don't at me, people. It's the D-backs, okay? <laughs> the D-backs are the only ones playing in a division that they can beat the snot out of, out of these teams. And I just think the Central and the East are too close to produce some two teams with really, really high win totals. And then my second wild card, this one I agonized over, but I have to give it to the Brewers. They always sneak in. They find a way. Um, and I think they'll do it again this year if they well, get the opportunity. So we both left the reigning World Series champions out of the playoffs this year. Yeah. Wow. But uh, that's because they're not that good. You know, so I was actually, I actually was going to put the Nats as my second wild card. But then I just thought, that, like, I don't see how, like, with the Phillies also being pretty good, like, the NL East is able to re- produce three playoff teams. So basically, well, my, yeah, but we've seen it in the past. Yeah, we've seen it in the past, but usually it's when like the other two teams are not so are just good. absolute trash. Yeah. But you know, it definitely could happen because like I could see a lot of teams hovering around five hundred uh, in this uh, second NL wild card, and it's just going to take like a hot last two weeks to make it, which is basically what the Brewers did last year. And yeah, I could easily see the Nats doing that, and I do feel bad about leaving them off a little bit. Um, I'm kind of big on them. But I don't know. I just they just have such a bad. Like, like I think the Nats are actually better than the Padres. But I'm you know. I was well, I think just... the Nats are better than the Brewers just because they have three aces on their team. Yeah, yeah. But they're kind of a nightmare, and I don't think the bullpen is there. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Like obviously the Nats could could win the wild card. They could even win the division. But. You know, these are our picks, and we're just trying and to have fun. Yeah, yeah, we're just having a little fun. So let's move over to the AL. We'll run through who we have, and then we'll do the championship series. All right, so AL, I have, and it pains me to say it, I have the Yankees as the number one team, my AL East winner. I have the <sighs> Astros as my number two team, the AL Central winner. 
I have the Twins as my number three team. Sorry, the Astros are the AL West winners. The Twins are the AL Central winners. And then uh, my wild cards are the same wild cards the AL had last year. It's the Rays and the, the Athletics. Yeah, we're pretty similar. I got the Yankees, uh, and then I got the Twins, then I got the Astros in terms of... Oh, I'm sorry, Astros and Twins in terms of rank, and then I also have Rays and A's as the wild So cards. we're exactly the same. In the so AL. we're exactly the and same. And I think the AL is a much Well, hold more... on, who's your first wild card? The Rays. I have the A's as my All first right, wild so card. So we're a little different, but I think what this shows is the AL is a much more sort of bimodal conference. Yeah. Uh, league, I mean. League, I would agree. In that, like, there are good teams and there are very bad teams, while as the NL, like, every division has basically four teams that could probably compete for the second wild card. Yeah. So... All right, so yeah. let's do the NLDS. Let's start with the team that had the best record in both leagues. I had the Dodgers and the Yankees. So who do you have the Dodgers playing? This would be the winner of the wild card game. Yeah, so I have the Braves winning the wild card game with the Padres. So I have the Dodgers playing the Braves. And who wins that? And then I have the Dodgers moving on in okay. the NLDS. So the Dodgers will be one of my four championship series games. So I have the Dodgers playing the Brewers. Oh, like wow, they, so you're kicking the D-backs out in the wildcard yeah, game. Yeah, it makes it, it makes You have all, sad, the, all the faith in them to get to that wildcard game, but then you're saying, hey, they're just going to blow it. Yeah, it makes me sad, but... And you, like, you I could trust Madbum? I could see and, the Nats here, like, too. Mad, you know, say what you want about Madbum, he's old, but I mean... He's this, a gamer. This guy threw nine shutout innings against the Mets in yeah, the 2016 wildcard It's, wild it's card not game. bad. It's like, someone's going to find a way to blow it. Like, Lavello's going to bring in Archie Bradley in the sixth and then, like, try and close with Yoan Lopez or something. uh, There's nightmares of balance. So Aaron's going for the reverse jinx here. I like it. (laughs) Okay. But I do have the Dodgers beating the Brewers. And, again, I could easily see the Nats in that spot. Um, In the AL, I also have the Yankees as a top team. And I have them playing the... Tampa Bay Rays. I also have them playing the Tampa Bay Rays, which would really suck for the A's to lose two straight wildcard games to the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, super brutal. Uh, But, you know, this would then be an AL East showdown. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and again, it pains me to say it, but I think the Yankees are very good, and I have them coming out on top. As do I. I mean, writing Yankees over on my paper or Yankees win is just, ugh. But oh it's God. it's hard it's hard to it's hard to vote against them. They're a good team. Yeah, they're so good. So then let's go to the other AL matchup. That's Twins and Astros. So this is where I uh, you know I went with a little upset. I had the Twins pulling out against the Astros. You I, son of a bitch! This is my cheeky uh, pick too. I got the same one. And I think we both talked about it on our AL Central podcast just how much we like sort of the borderline moves the Twins yeah. were making to really put themselves as a team that could compete in the playoffs. You know. I, I love the Rich Hill signing there, and like the lineup super deep. The Astros got to pay for what they did. I think they're they're not going to get out of this out of this division series. Nobody wants to see it right. happen. The Twins are going to have everyone outside of Houston rooting for them, and I think the Twins pull it out. So this is yeah, this is like super gut feeling for me. But you know, I think the Astros get over the distractions enough during the season. But I think it really starts to wear on, on them in the playoffs and. A team like this like has to come back down to earth eventually. They've just been ungodly for so long. And I think this year is kind of the perfect storm. They have so much talent. They will still be a force. This will go all five games. But I, I think the Twins find a way. In the NL, what do you have? So I have the, the Mets-Cubs series. Yeah. 
A little rematch, huh? A little rematch of the Mets' 2015 sweep, which I was actually in Chicago for, folks, because that's where I went to college. Um, My roommate was a a big Cubs fan. It wasn't a... It was a bit tense in the household during that series, but there's nothing really for him to be tense about because the Cubs were never in the series. I can't testify. If you're (laughs) rooting against the Mets, you better watch your step in this house. Yeah, but... um, I have the Mets pulling this out. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I think uh, I think the Mets are a team that would be built well for the playoffs. They have a bunch of guys that can just come through in big spots. <laughs> they have the best does. pitcher in baseball who's just going to guarantee you two wins in a series. Oh my and, God. And like Jacob DeGrom needs to be back in the playoffs because in 2015 he just absolutely dealt when he was there. Yeah, I mean, he'll be nasty. And uh, yeah, so I've got the Mets as my second NLCS team. Okay, so I have an actually plausible outcome here for mine. I have the Braves beating the Cardinals, little rematch of last year, but I think both of those teams just still got it. I think if there's one I'm worried about, it's maybe the Cards, Um, but again, I don't even have them moving on here because I'm worried about them in the first place. So Brewers and Cardinals both getting toasted in the first division, uh, sorry, in the first series of the NL playoffs for me. Uh, Dodgers and Braves moving on. Sam has Dodgers-Mets moving on. Yep. And uh, you'll be happy. Uh, I put the Dodgers in the World Series. Okay, okay. The Dodgers are, you know, I think clearly the best team in the National League, and they got even better with Mookie Betts. You know, obviously, like, you know, all of these years of the Dodgers failing in the playoffs, year after year, Mm -hmm. winning the NL West, and not winning the World Series, you know, until eventually they made back-to-back World Series and they lost both of those. I think the Dodgers are going to get to another World Series. They're by far the best team. They're deep. They're just, they're so they're just good. incredible. They're so good. And they will be the NL representative in the World Series. All right, so just a quick recap. I have Dodgers, Braves, Yankees, Twins. Sam has Dodgers, Mets, Yankees, Twins in the championship series. Sam has already let us know he has the Dodgers beating the Mets. This is a good time for me to let you all know that I have the Dodgers beating the Braves. So we both have the Los Angeles Dodgers in the World Series. And the reason for that is because we know how to read. They have extremely good players on their team. And I think, you know, they're far and away the best team in the National League. I don't even think it's really... And this is not to say that, like, you should... Like, the Dodgers will definitely be in the World Series for the National League. The playoffs are largely... They're like a, a Are largely a crapshoot a random team. Any team in the playoffs could beat any other team in the playoffs in a given series. Yeah. This is just to say that the Dodgers are clearly far and away the best team in the National League. So, the you know, the team of National League teams, the team most likely to end up in the World Series has got to be the Dodgers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when that happens, it always ends up being someone else. But if yeah. we're betting men, which we are, we'll take the Dodgers. In the ALCS, it's like eating glass to say this. But I have the, Ye- I have the Yankees beating the Twins. I don't ever want to say that again. I'm not. I'm not quite as uh, as noble as you. I went with the twins. Yeah, good for you. Uh, good for and you, uh, you know, I, again, like I just really like everything the twins did this off season, and I I sort of wanted to give them that reward for just like going for it with the pieces they have, and 
they just have a lineup that could mash. Like, if they get hog in the series, they can beat the Yankees. And, you know, I think they have pitchers, too, that can sort of give you – can be good playoff pitchers in that they can give you five good innings and then get to those bullpen arms. And, like, I just think the Twins, you know, finally have that team that can break through against the Yankees. They've lost to the Yankees – so many times over the last 20 years in the playoffs. Yeah. And they're finally going to break through. Look, at first I was like, oh, thank God you picked the Twins so that, you know, we both don't have the Yankees in the World Series. But now I'm upset because you're making me defend the Yankees. This is the last (laughs) thing I want to do. I don't think any good team benefits as much from this COVID-related layoff in baseball than the Yankees. They have a chance to get Gary Sanchez 100%. They have a chance to get on Duhar 100% and acquainted with a different position. They have a chance to get all of their outfielders back. They could get Giancarlo and Judge. And if it goes deep enough, they could even get Hicks back. But that would be no season played this year. But they still have the opportunity to get all of their outfielders back. And then you go to their pitching staff and they have the chance to get James Paxton back. And this team starts to look like the juggernaut that we all know they will be if their whole team is healthy. And at the end of the day, the Twins do have more than serviceable starting pitching. You know, they got guys who are going to go out there and get outs in Barrios, Odorizzi, and Maeda this year. But what kind of comparison is that to Cole, Tanaka, Paxton? Yeah, but I mean, I think, like, I'm, I'm always worried about Paxton's health. And, like, Tanaka is, again the type of guy that you love to throw for four or five innings in a playoff game. But Cole's the only guy that out there that's like really like, oh, it's going to be really hard to win a game against this guy. I don't know. I think uh, a healthy Paxton is, is a real ace in this league as well. Yeah, I mean, he's... I and Tanaka's he's, he's, always good in the playoffs. I mean, this is a tough team to beat. Because don't forget, I'm not like talking about this team with a thin lineup. You know, they have... Judge, Torres, LeMahieu, Stanton, Sanchez, and then some combination of Ursela and Duhar, Voigt, Gardner. Like, that's a Clint Frazier uh, all the way at the bottom. Shouldn't even be there anymore. His team is stacked. Yeah, I, I think a healthy Yankees team is for sure better than a healthy Twins team. And that even includes, like, with the Severino out for the season and mm-hmm. Hicks, like, maybe out for the season. I still think a healthy Yankees team is better than a healthy Twins team. I've just been, like... You know, it's just injury after injury after injury for the Yankees, and I think if they take a few hits before the playoffs, the Twins can finally take them out, and maybe it's just wishful thinking, but that's what I'm projecting. Yeah, I could definitely see that. So then, the World Series, we both have Dodgers. I have Yankees, you have Twins, but who wins it? I have the Dodgers finally taking home their first World Series title since 1988, I believe. Yeah, 1988, because that's the year they beat the Mets. In the NLCS. Oh boy, oh boy. Um, So 1988 was their last World Series title. And after so many close calls over the last decade, I think they're finally going to get one. And I actually have the Dodgers as well. You know, they've been fighting for so long. Uh, Sam, right on the nose there with the 88 number. This team, I think, just edges out. Every other team in the league, I think on paper, they're the best. I think they're going to have the most drive to do it since they've been absolutely stymied at the gates of, you know, eternal glory for the last couple of years. And this is the year they break through. 
Um, finally, I get to say they stomp the Yankees, and maybe letting them get so close and taking it away from those fans is is worth it. Yeah, it's better for the Yankees to lose in the World Series than the ALCS for maximum pain inflicted. But this would be a really fun one. I know it would be like a big cliche because you're like LA versus New York. You know, this is a tale as old as time. But there's a reason it's a classic. Massive fan bases all over the country for both of these teams. Oftentimes very good teams. And this year is no exception. In fact, it's probably a highlighted example of that phenomenon. And I am, I would be glued to this. This would be absolutely riveting. You got Kershaw and Cole and Bueller and Paxson and Tanaka it's it's going to be an absolute delight. Great play in the outfield from both of these teams. Um, but of course, as Sam and I both know, since we picked them, none of these three teams will be in the World oh, Series. Of course There's not. no of course. shot. There's yeah. absolutely no chance. But, you know, one fun thing I think to do now is we've been sort of giving you our gambling over underpicks for all the divisions. Let's both give our favorite bet for a World Series winner. So what we think is the best value. And, and sort of for uh, for some like uh, you know examples, the Dodgers are the favorites with plus three seventy five to win. So that means you'd have to bet three hundred seventy five dollars to win. Sorry, you'd have to bet if you bet one hundred dollars on the Dodgers winning, they'd win three. You'd win three hundred seventy five dollars. So what that puts them at is roughly so plus four hundred, which what the Yankees are would put them at roughly twenty percent to be World Series champions. So both the Dodgers and Yankees are sort of viewed by betting odds as 20%. My favorite bet is the Twins at 18 to 1. So basically, if you bet, you know, $1 on the Twins to the World Series to win the World Series, you'd win $18. And given that I see them making the World Series, that's obviously a great value bet from my perspective. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good bet. They're a pretty good team this year. Um, and for instance, compare for me comparing it to another bet, which is like the Braves are twelve to one. Yeah, so like, I think the Twins have an easier sort of path to the World Series because they're definitely going to win their division. The Braves are going to see a harder fight from other teams in their division, and if you don't win your division for sure, yeah, then like you're less likely to make to to win the World Series because if you if you have to fight in a wild card game, that's just a 50-50 crapshoot. Yeah, I agree, and I actually think that that's a pretty good pick, Sam. Um, But I'm going to go out here, and I'm kind of going to go out on a limb and say that I actually think the White Sox at 35-1 to um, is my favorite bet. And yeah, it's a, I don't know, it's a long shot bet. And looking at, uh, you know, it's only about twice as good as the Twins odds, or twice as much money as betting the Twins. And looking at that, I'd say the Twins probably have more than a two times better chance of winning the World Series than the White Sox. However, I do like it just as kind of like a pie-in-the-sky bet, say, look, if any of these guys down here are going to do it, it's got to be the Sox. They you like that more than the D-backs at 51. Yeah, I do. I, I do, because I think if you're looking at the White Sox, you're looking at a team that like just has that talent and combustibility to explode in like a short season this year. So you're looking for a team that sort of, while they might not have the a better median outcome in the season, if they if everything really clicks, they'd have a chance. Exactly. To I'm looking at the White Sox as a team who could burn really hot for not a long time, but maybe it's long enough 
to win the World Series. All they have to do in an 80-game season is basically play, you know, 45 games of great baseball. And as we saw with the Indians a couple years ago, that's more than doable. And, and something to make sure to think about in this shortened season, folks, is that there's a reason that the baseball season is 162 games long. Like, any team can get hot over 10 or 20 games mm-hmm. or even 30 or 40 games, and you might see some really weird standings results because baseball is a, is a game where the difference between the best and, clo- and worst teams is much closer on a game-to-game basis than other sports. So you, so you can see weirder results over small sample sizes. And something they say about baseball is that any team can go out and win any game. And on its face, you're like, that's dumb because it's true in any sport. But it's kind of not. You know, like, last year's Ravens going to play the Dolphins, for example, or the Bengals even, for example. And, like, you know, uh, Lakers or Golden State, great, great team, going to play, like, the Bobcats or Hornets when they were really bad. These are games where, yeah, anyone can win, but... Not really. It's like over 90% that the favorite's going to win, and that that number is just like impossible to realize in Major League Baseball. Right. You'll never, yeah. ever see a matchup between two teams in Major League Baseball where one team wins 90% if you play enough games. I yeah. don't think it's possible. Um, and so for that reason, you know, I kind of thought the White Sox had that chance to just pop for a little bit. Um, that's where I'd throw my hat if I were throwing – this is like a bet I'd throw like five bucks on, like two to five bucks on, you know, just see if I can make some quick money. Um, sort, of, sort of like uh, the bet we tried to make oh, on Pete Alonso to yeah. lead, the net, lead the major leagues in home runs last year. Well, if you want to hear that low-key bet this year, oh, you know what? Let's save it for the uh, let's save it for the award show. I'll talk about individual players yeah. a little bit there. But I might have a surprise bet for you guys on the award show, uh, which will be our next show. And again, is going to have some very exciting stuff on it. Yep. And uh, we'll bring that to you then. But for now, this is us with our divisional preview and our playoff preview coming to a close. Next episode will be the final installment of our kind of projection and prediction series. It will be individual accolades. And so you're going to want to stay tuned for that. Um, But this has been so much fun. When all this is over, our episodes will look a lot more like this time, even a little shorter than the hour plus episodes we've had in the past but we wanted to give you guys like really in-depth content for every team so you know no fans felt short drifted exactly and uh we will be kind of replacing this with some other fun segments we'll have some guests on in the future uh we'll play some fun games and we'll bring you up to speed on some tools that exist in the baseball world uh, that you can use on your own to analyze some more players so uh signing off for tonight Thanks for joining us. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. Thanks a lot.